Welcome to Mysteries to Die For and this toe tag. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a murder. Today is a bonus episode that we call a toe tag. It's the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery, crime, or thriller genre. And today's featured release is The Medusa Murders by Joanne Rebar. Okay, so we're going to jump in as we always do, but we're going to jump in this time with chapter two. Why? Because I want to. Well, that and. Well, the first chapter does a very nice job of introducing us to the characters in the setting. We're all about the mystery at Mysteries to Die For, and that gets started in chapter two. So a few things to note. Our hero is uh, is Bay Browning, sorry, wanted to make sure I said her name right, is Professor Bay Browning. Uh, she goes by the name L.L. Browning. So in this chapter, whether you hear Bay, Professor Browning, or L.L., they all refer to the same person, and that is our hero. All right, so chapter two, Disinterested Minority. The fifth floor meeting room in the humanities department was much too large for the few attendees. Besides Professor McNeely and Bay, the only others present were Anastasia Andino, Associate Dean, and Dean Pamela Foyt. Bay was confused at the Dean's attendance since hiring someone as lowly as a gopher for the literature and arts department seemed an unnecessary oversight. It ticked her off that nobody was there for music, art, or theater, even though they had all pledged to support Bay's applicant for the choice of the job. Stasia checked the time. It was five minutes after the hour. High time to get started. Okay, looks like it's just us, she said, so let's not delay. At our last meeting, Professors Browning and you presented the need for an additional office helper since Trevor has taken on registration and data processing duties. Stasia's raspy voice indicated boredom. She raised bulging dark eyes around the table for acknowledgement. Bay and McNally nodded. Pamela looked at her cell phone. Stasia returned to her notes. We posted the job and received several applicants. Tonight, we'll hire one of those applicants. I understand you both have recommendations. Bay jumped on Stasia's inquiry to be heard first. Yes, I recommend we hire Thomas Elkins. Thomas is a third-year English literature major with a music minor, a perfect fit for the department. Bay peered at McNally, daring him to argue her point. McNally stood up, folded his hands behind his back, and strolled to the front of the table where Pamela was perched. Staring upward, McNally began his sales pitch. I'm sure Thomas Elkins is a fine person, but I'm suggesting we offer the position to an equally qualified candidate who is in dire need, Diana Poulin. Miss Poulin is in danger of dropping out because of a great financial need, which would mean returning home to an abusive stepmother. Stasia's quizzical expression was lost on Bay. Clearly, this was the first time she'd heard of Diana Poulin and her imminent demise. But Pamela noted and pretended to look concerned. Stasia pounced before Bay had the opportunity. And how has this knowledge come to your doorstep, McNally? Her words stabbed the air. McNally colored as he brought both hands to his face tenting them and closing his eyes, perhaps seeking divine guidance. 
finally, he stated matter-of-factly, the girl has confided to me. Bay stood up. The long day contained enough pitfalls. She was steamed that her colleagues hadn't bothered to come to the meeting to support her, and she still had to deal with her dad and her sister. Thomas Elkins, she said, will fill the need for a greater diversity at Flourish as a member of the LGBTQ community. They hated it that she sounded like a chirpy TV ad. McNally dove in. Diana Poulin is an international student. <sighs> to be fair, she is Canadian. Bay's counterpoint was directed at Dean Foyt. It became apparent the Dean was the one she had to convince. McNally snorted. She's French-Canadian. Bay pointed at McNally. He told Miss Poulin he was a priest. That's the only reason he knows her situation. Stasia frowned and slapped the table hard. That's enough song and dance from both of you. This is supposed to be a short meeting. We're trying to hire a damn gopher, not choose the next pope. Stasia's tirade short-circuited due to the coughing attack. Dean Foyt stood up, causing Bayad McNally to imminently retreat to their seats. Perfectly coiffed, white hair dazzled in the artificial light against the high-collar drapery jumpsuit. Pamela dressed like a model and branded herself as a rogue, wearing royal blue and bright yellow despite what some would consider the over-the-top for her age. Bay admired the dean's fearless nature, but would a rogue kowtow to the likes of McNally, Bay wondered. Since there are no other supporters present for either candidate, I move to hire Miss Poulin for the position. Bay bristled, and Pamela staredly fixed at the literature professor. Hiring a female will balance the office assistants, and Miss Poulin has an immediate need, despite the unorthodox way the department has been made aware of her circumstances. Pamela cleared her throat and directed an authoritative stare at McNally. Stasia affirmed the dean's decision, and the deed was done. Meeting adjourned. Just wait till I see you, Jennifer, you, and the other meeting skippers, Bay thought. She didn't like office politics or Professor McNally. The afternoon rain morphed into evening snow flurries, spinning circles that mimicked Bay's thoughts. She absently maneuvered the gray Subaru down College Avenue, left on Grand, and back to Windflower Gardens on Hawthorne Way. She pulled up short of the parking ramp, and her jaw dropped. Red and blue lit up the front entrance of her building, courtesy of two squad cars idling there. Lights aglow. So, Cass has already violated her parole? So be it. Bay couldn't process why her stomach flipped like the swirling snow illuminated by the Subaru's headlights. Hesitating a moment, she decided to enter the garage and park as normal. The ride up to the 10th floor was far too short for Bay to determine her reaction. What would she say to her father? Would his heart ever mend? First mom, then Cassandra? Bay's mother, Penelope, died when Bay was 10. Her leaving created a void as wide as the heavens for Barrett. He tried to be a good father, but mostly he buried himself in work. Literally, in fact, since he was an anthropologist who worked with archaeologists all over the world. Sometimes, his two daughters lived with him during his field work. More often, they lived with Aunt V in Chicago. The familiar ding cut into Bay's thoughts. She gazed at her apartment door for telltale signs of police activity and found none. The key clicked in the lock. She gingerly entered what used to be her peaceful haven. 
She found Cass and her father seated on the sofa, looking up at her expectantly. The police just left a few minutes ago, Barrett began. They plunked her purse and tote bag on the tile by the sofa table. Ha! I knew it! She glared disgustedly at Cassandra, who shrunk back in surprise. Something gave way inside Bay. What did you do this time? You're out of prison not even one day, Cassandra. Cass's and Barrett's expression made her pause midstream. The cops weren't here for me, sister. They want to talk to you, and they'll be back with a search warrant, so you better get your crap together and get rid of whatever it is they want. Cass spat the words at Bay like hornet spray. Bay couldn't imagine anything she had in her possession the police would want. She collapsed into the oversized reading chair by the fireplace, head in hands, thinking. Ignoring her sister, she addressed Barrett. What did the police say, Dad? Exactly, if you can remember. Barrett raised his eyes, looking toward the left, recalling the details. Well, they asked if you were home, said they must talk to you. When I said you were at work, they asked to look in your closets. I asked for a warrant, and they left. Officer Downing left his card and asked you call as soon as you get home. Barrett handed Bay the card from his shirt pocket. She exhaled a whoosh of air in relief and read the card. I guess I'll call Officer Downing and find out what this is about. She offered a peevish glare at Cass. So, they want to look at my closets. Any chance you stash something there, sister? Cass shook her head. I did not. And if I were you, I wouldn't call that officer. Cops can't be trusted. Of course you would think that, Cass. Bay had no reason not to trust the police. She pulled herself from her purse, walked into her bedroom, and shut the door before calling. Detective Downing, he said. This is L.L. Browning, she said. I received a message saying you were at my apartment and wished to speak with me. How can I help? Bay delivered her practice mature and professional voice, the one she used to land the job at the college. Downing wasn't impressed. Yeah, L.L. Browning. What's the L.L. stand for? Suddenly, Bay felt like a student with a new teacher reciting roll call. Her first name, Lula Bay, was concocted by her dear sister Cassandra, but sounded like a barfing whale whenever strangers tackled it. Of course, now she was all grown up and had rebaptized herself, no longer living in a fairy tale world where a sweet sister and darling mother. L.L. is the name I go by, she said, if you don't mind, officer. Bay was displeased when she sounded contrite. Why apologize about her name? That's detective, he said, not officer. Miss Browning, I'll cut to the chase. Did you pick up dry cleaning today at Giorgio's Tender Touch on Grand? <laughs> Bay laughed. She couldn't help herself. She never used the full name of Giorgio's business, and hearing it come from a police detective, who had a provocative voice, by the way, conjured a massage parlor or something more steamy than dry cleaning. Is something funny, Miss Browning. Bay snapped back to the matter at hand. I'm sorry, yes, I, I picked up my dry cleaning today around 3.30 from Giorgio himself. She tried to be precise, to be helpful. Right, he said. Where is that dry cleaning located right now? So that's what the police wanted to look at? It's actually in the back seat of my car, she said. It's been a busy day and I haven't had time to bring it up. She pictured the untidy clump in the back seat, likely wrinkled, warranting yet another visit to Giorgio, who believed himself an Adonis. You haven't touched it then, he asked, 
or removed it from its wrappings? Downing was pumped now. Bay affirmed. Can you meet us in the parking garage by your vehicle in 15 minutes? Bay agreed, but as soon as she disconnected, she flew to the elevator and pushed the button for the lower level without a word to her father or Cass. She intended to check out the dry cleaning for herself first. All right, so that is the second chapter of the Medusa Murders by Joanne Rebar. So let's learn a little bit about our author. So Joanne Rebar is an RV author. This is the first time I'd heard that term, an RV author. She does her writing on the road wherever her husband and their Winnebago view wanders. Joy's cocktail of careers includes news reporter, paralegal, English educator, and aquaponics greenhouse technician, all of which prove useful in penning mysteries. She loves to bake, read, do wine research, and explore nature. Joy's writing is inspired by Wisconsin's four distinct seasons, natural beauty, and kind-hearted but sometimes quirky people. Joy holds a BA in journalism from University of Wisconsin-Madison and an MS in education from UW Oshkosh. She is a member of Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime, Blackbird Writers, and Wisconsin Writers Association. Wisconsin is a beautiful state, is a favorite of mine. So here is my review. So The Medusa Murders is an amateur sleuth mystery. Professor Bay L.L. Browning is drawn into a serial killer's world when her coat is found at the scene of a crime. The killer has an agenda and a style, one that emulates the mythical Medusa, turning her victims to stone. Bay's knowledge of art and mythology turns out to be just the expertise that the police need. So the bottom line is that the Medusa murders are for you, or is it is for you? We'll go with R. R for you. If you like clean mysteries with a cozy feel and centering on art and mythology. Okay, so what are the strengths of this story? The Medusa murders is, it always sounds wrong. The Medusa murders is, but it's a book, so it is one thing. I'm going to get stuck on that, aren't I? The Medusa murders are classified on Amazon as amateur sleuth, women's fiction, and women's uh, contemporary women's fiction. It absolutely is amateur sleuth follow-along mystery. Crime fiction has become a broader term for stories involving crime, so it fits there again. Contemporary's women's fiction is a story of a woman's growth, uh, their story arc throughout the story. This element is definitely there, but it's applicable mostly to the secondary stories. You get a little bit of a hint of it with Bay's relationship with her sister Cass in the second chapter. While it's not listed as a cozy, the clean storytelling style, there's no cursing in this book, the lack of on-screen violence, yes, people die, but you know, this is not like a slasher film, and the prominent role of interesting and quirky, spe quirky specialties, classical art and mythology, just to name two, definitely make the Medusa murders a good fit for the cozy category. The setting is in a fictional Wisconsin college town in winter, and it's a nice variation on the small town setting. The social complexities of working inside higher ed gives a peek behind the curtain from what life must look like from a prof professor's perspective. I can say all those P's in a row. The story does a nice job of showing Bay having to juggle her, juggle her work responsibilities and family problems, and that includes her ex-con sister showing up at the door, while also working to find a link between the murders and mythology. All in all, this is a fun read, 
For those of you who dig mythology or know your way around classical art, um, you know, with mythology, you'll find a lot to sink your teeth into. Where did this story fall short of ideal? Well, one of the first and biggest challenges for authors using amateur sleuth is the getting the hero into the story. From the beginning, Bay doesn't know why she's part of the investigation, and several times she makes credible arguments that somebody else who knows better should be doing this work. For me, the character saying that really undermined the strength of the character and her credibility. Ultimately, it doesn't affect the flow or the result of the story. It just kind of was a little surprising. It did take me some time to warm up to Bay. There were times I felt like she embodied the collegiate arrogance that she accused others of having. Um, I thought her edges smoothed out in the second half of the book, and all in all, I came to really like and respect her. So this is, uh, even though it's not labeled a cozy, I do think that if you are a fan of that style of writing, uh, the small town mysteries, the, uh, again, that sort of quirky characters and quirky hobbies, then you're really going to like the Medusa Murders. The Medusa Murders was promoted by Partners in Crime. They represent a network of 300 plus bloggers offering tailor-made virtual book tours and marketing options for crime, mystery, and thriller writers from around the world. Founded in 2011, PICT offers virtual book tour services for well-established and best-selling authors, as well as those of us just starting out. PICT prides itself on its tailored packages for authors with the personal touch from the tour coordinators. For more information, check out their website, partnersincrimetours.com. Link is in the show notes. We'll join us next week for Mysteries to Die for Season 6, Things That Go Jack in the Night, Episode 12, Detective Connolly Gets Audio Jacked. Yes, that questionably insane detective is back, and this time he is, the story is his first ever case, where the jack is an audio jack. With that, I'll ask my jack to take us out.